Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. All right, so welcome back. This is going to be part two of our interview with Regina Holiday. She is one of the great patient advocates in our country, and she's doing work that is incredibly exciting. It's really from the ground up sort of stuff. So if you haven't listened to part one, definitely check that out. We're going to keep up with our conversation. We were talking a little bit about the walking gallery that you're doing. You're on five continents. You're in 40 states with these jackets that a person is able to wear. It's a, it's a suit jacket that then tells part of their medical story. You've grown like this. Now you have this presence. You're being featured you know, around the world. You're in, in the media. Where do you want this to go? I mean, what are we gonna what are we gonna see four years from now from these sorts of things? Well, I wrote a book recently called The Writing on the Wall, and that was more about the early parts of my advocacy than it was the than the walking gallery. It was um focused more on where it all began. But I did that to get regular people involved. Part of the goal for us within the e patient community and the patient safety community is to 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 really go into the mainstream of getting regular folks to understand why this is also very, very important prior to them having a cataclysmic health event. So right now there's, um, well, I did a protest in front of Health and Human Services um, that was a painting protest. We were painting about data access. And that was in part to get people to comment publicly on a meaningful use stage two uh, recently, facilities and providers stated that they thought asking 5% of their patient population to access their medical record was too much. CMS came back with, okay, then if one patient checks out of the thousands of patients you have, that's fine. And of course, that made all of us patient activists really, really upset. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> You're like, you know, that's not science. That's, that's... <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a bit arbitrary. It does seem a bit arbitrary. Yeah. Well, part I was like, are they doing that just to make us mad? <laughs> <laughs> right. Are you just trying to get a rise out of me? Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. So, so, so we we work very hard to make sure that the entire populace becomes aware of how important this stuff is, mm-hmm. and that we're at a crossroads in time right now. We're at a time that the medical model could be a more Wikipedia internet kind of concept with more open data, the ability to share amazing scientific databases that can do evidence-based medicine based on population data sets. That could be the reality. Or we could give in to special interests, keep everything siloed, and we're going to fall much further in the international standing of medicine than we are currently because we're going to be working with really, really horrible data sets. When, when you, when you present, present your material and your uh, the walking gallery, things like that, when physicians see them, I'm interested in the response you've gotten from the boots-on-the-ground physicians and nurses who are seeing patients on a day-to-day basis. Give me a sense of the response you get from the sort of the frontline providers, the nurses, the LVNs, the physicians, the lab techs, whoever it is, but the, the people that a patient is going to encounter throughout their medical journey when they have something like this that's pretty in-your-face, you know, something on the back of someone's jacket that they're wearing. What kind of response have you been getting in the United States and abroad? Well, it's increasing awareness. Is that's good. Mm-hmm. I, I do make this purposely hard. I mean, it's it's 
you have to be on social media yeah. and our hashtag is the walking gallery, which is a really long hashtag. And you have to reach out to join the movement. And in part, because we're still at the beginning stages of a movement. So, so we are still the first adopters, the leaders, and it hasn't broken over yet into a more mass following. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so, when you're at a stage where you're looking for evangelists, basically, you need people who are really passionate and dedicated. And that's who we're getting right now. Uh, what's going to be coming later are going to be more the mainstream voices, but we're working toward that goal. It's just whenever you start a movement, it's a process, just mm -hmm. like civil rights was a process. Um, you, you, you know, we are just the unusual fringe still. I, go, I, I mean, there's awareness, like people at Hims know there's something going on because why are these jackets all over the place? They just right. aren't aware of why the jackets are there. Mm -hmm. And they're slowly becoming aware of that. When you have talked with healthcare leadership, you know, face to face, and you've obviously when you went to Kaiser, they were very, very receptive. Is that same level of receptivity present wherever you go? As you're trying to, as you say, you're trying to build this organically, or, you know, you obviously haven't hit that tipping point yet, um, but it, you know, it seems like you're obviously still growing, but when you talk with, you know, the, the leading hospital groups, um, like Kaiser, uh, other ones around the country, when you have those meetings, is it the same responsiveness you had at Kaiser? Is it sort of a mixed bag? It's mixed to some extent. I mean, there, what's a, a very confusing thing for a lot of people is to understand this is actually free. Mm -hmm. And it isn't an exclusive club. It isn't. I mean, we do require that you be on social media, but that's because we're a flash mob. <laughs> right. we, you know, <laughs> we organize through social media, so you have to be in social media. But, but that's, you know, there's very few reasons you'd be excluded from the gallery. And we don't charge for it. And that really blows people's minds. See, I designed it so people who work for the federal government can be part of the movement. And has that happened? Have they have they come yeah, aboard? We have. We had Todd Park while he was White House Chief Executive Officer for Technology. Um, we had uh, we have Karen DeSalvo. She's ONC head right now. We had Fazar Mashashari when he was ONC head. Ligia Riccardi when she was the Consumer Engagement head. Uh -huh. So yeah, I mean the the uh, John O'Brien who was working for CMS. Um, the, the major thing is these jackets have absolutely no value. They are the person's jacket. They belong to them, and the painting has no value. So anybody can be part of it. And then they would, and then you have one of your sort of cohort of artists who will render a painting based on what the person tells them, sort of in an interview or something like that. Right. So I or another artist. Most artists will only do one or two jackets because you know we aren't paid for it. So, yes. so it is one of those things that is a labor of love. I've painted three hundred and thirty-three of them. That is amazing. And you access all ages. There's a, on your website, um, which I definitely want you to plug, there's a, that, there's a, a nine minute video that has lots of people talking about their jackets and it's people of all ages. There's kids who are, what are they, eight or nine years old talking about their jackets. The, the one that I just had a huge smile, there was the young boy who was talking about his jacket based around being a diabetes buster and it was all Minecraft imagery. And I just, it's just so cool. <laughs> Yeah, there there are some amazing children in the gallery. The youngest gallery walker was four, wow. um, and he painted his own jacket. Yeah. So, so a lot of our artists are children artists because they have no problem painting their own jackets. Mm -hmm. But but we go all the way up from little bitty children to adults. We have you know people working in the White House, and then we also have homeless people who are part of the gallery. I mean, it, it is really every level of society that's represented.
I have to ask you this question about did you, when there was the the most famous representation I think of people having access to their medical records was in a Seinfeld episode where yeah. Elaine Bennis goes to the dermatologist I think it was. Um, I don't know if you ever saw that episode, but I think the dermatologist wrote in her chart that she was a difficult patient and she tried to steal it and they wouldn't let her see her records or something like that. Right. That was an, that was prior to um, HIPAA legislation in 96 that that episode aired. And it it was true. She did not have the right to that record at that point right. in law. And she ended up stealing it. So, But I think that that is still the most, I mean, Seinfeld, of course, is one of those popular TV shows ever. So that's got to be one of the most resonant memories most people have of what happens when you want to get a hold of your own medical record. And what does the road forward look like so that, you know, the next Seinfeld show, you know, the, the, the funny moment is the, you know, Elaine part two goes to her doctor and they sit in front of the computer together and they look at everything together and she can get a copy of the note that day, you know, that open notes model that's coming out of Boston what is the road forward to bring that to bridge that divide to get us from someone having to literally steal the documentation of their own health history to it being one where we're on the same playing field and we're making decisions as a team? Well, you just mentioned a really great thing, which is, of course, pop culture and people who write stories are a major way you get to that reality. Fiction writers can get us to the reality that we wish to see. I often say that my bucket list is I want Joss Whedon writing about healthcare. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, because he's amazing. He's a spectacular wordsmith. And we need that kind of brilliance applied to this. And that's one of the ways we get to where we need to be. So it's going to be that continuing leveraging of the, the creative blood, not necessarily beating the door down at a hospital, but building momentum by accessing people who write, paint, communicate in a way that just spreads this where it becomes this almost indelible life force. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like that's a road forward. Yes, that is very much a road forward that health, everything starts changing around healthcare and healthcare is thereby forced to change. So um, that brings us to Awesome Con, which yeah. you mentioned Joss Whedon, you know, you mentioned sort of leveraging pop culture. You were featured at Awesome Con, which first of all, Awesome Con is this, it's, it's sort of Comic-Con for the East Coast, right? Is that a fair, a fair way to put it? The people who run it are total fanboys and fangirls. So what they do when they get more money is they don't like, yay, we got more money. We can become wealthy. Um, no, no, no. They reinvest it in getting another cool person to come. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's pretty, it's just a, it's a fan conference. Very, very much. So when you put your work out in the middle of this gigantic pop culture fan conference, what happens? I mean, you're adding a really interesting ingredient to the, you know, the now 28 spice chili mix. What are, what happens when, when you become part of that mix? Um, like people call me, you were the girl who painted. <laughs> like, yeah, um, they were confused because Kaiser Permanente sponsored our booth. Okay. Like, what does Kaiser Permanente have to do with AwesomeCon? I'm like, well, you know, that's the part of the philosophy is that they're there where you play and this is where you play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I was explaining Kaiser and their model and that it does have a more of a data access element than a traditional provider's office necessarily has. Uh, but then I was also explaining the walking gallery and how the stories of our lives, the pop culture basically is the story of our lives. It's the parables, the modern parable that we explain things with. And so I'm like, if I can take your story and combine it with your interest, and then you can tell your story in such a way that goes to the passion of your interest, then you're going to convince people much more rapidly about whatever your cause is. 
And we had five people decide to join the walking gallery right there at AwesomeCon. Really? Yeah. Now, did you get to cross paths with Joss Whedon, or is he too busy out promoting? He's, he's too busy still post-Avengers, but I'm right. very hopeful that <laughs> our paths will eventually cross, and I will be able to get him onto our side. That's right. That's right. What other pots are you going to try to access? What What other sort of big mixing areas do you want to have this material get into? Because I think that that is really smart. I think that, like you mentioned, things are in silos, right? Healthcare could could use a dose of pop culture in a way. I mean, the way medicine is presented um, in in the media as as a member, uh, you know, I'm a participant, I'm a physician. It's painful. It's not good. You know, yeah. oftentimes we're we're we look we come across as insensitive. We come across as not caring. We come across as clumsy or incompetent. Most people who do what we do really are doing it for the right reasons. They want to do a good job. They want to be helpful. They want to elevate a patient's experience the best that they can. I think that trying to move that forward, that also helps to bridge that divide where it doesn't feel like we're in opposition, where it becomes more of, hey, look, we're going to work together as a team. It's going to be hard. We may not get the outcome that we want, but at least we're going to be united. And I just, I don't think we're there right now. No. Well, one of the things is like, I, one of my goals, I, I did a small conference called Cinderblocks over the weekend, and I called it Burning Man Meets Healthcare. And to some <laughs> extent it was. I mean, it, we had elements, we had a burn, we had fire dancers, we had doctors talking about medicine, you know, it was, it was a great combination of the two worlds. I would like to show up as the walking gallery at Burning Man at some point, um, because our, our movement is very much in line with their vision of you know, gift economy and radical reinvention. Um, so that's, that's, that would be nice to see the two of those things clash really well. The, when you look at the larger picture within healthcare, I mean, we are at an amazing time. A lot of people have been stuck in a rut for 30 years. They feel like healthcare cannot change. Nothing's going to ever happen. And they're wrong. It's just healthcare has been very good at slowing progress when it comes to open data and destru destruction of silos. Um, but the re disruption that happened in music and newspapers is going to happen in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And it's a matter of having that disruption happen in such a way that lives are saved rather than lost. And that's where working together becomes incredibly important. Do you have uh, a leadership team that incorporates the viewpoint of physicians and things like that or do you have do you have a leadership team or is this much more of a sort of an organic kind of organization but remember the the movement's full of doctors and nurses and informatics professionals so we're and some people are all three of those things um we talk with each other and try to make sure that we're representing each other's worldviews it's just there there are people who disagree with us very very vocally um, but they're often ones who also have divorced themselves from social media and all the current communication methods that most of the populace is embracing. Now, you mentioned at the beginning of our of our conversation in, in part one, you mentioned that when you started this, when you did your first mural, we're talking about you know access to leadership. When you did your first mural, you said, you know what, within one year, I'm going to meet the president. Did that happen? Yes, I did. Really? So I met President Obama at a um, health care reform um, meeting for families that had been harmed. So, so I was with Families USA uh -huh. and um, we had been talking, we were trying to get the Affordable Care Act passed and yeah. we helped pass it. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it was one of those things I was determined. So yes, about a year later, I was shaking hands with president. Um, and I won't ever stop. I mean, it's one of those things that I'm one of the most dangerous things to the status quo that exists because I'm truly an activist and nothing will ever stop me from making sure that the patient has a seat at the table and the patient voice is part of the care team. If you could have the, the patient voice and that sense of, you know, where you guys are coming from, what would be the next frontier to break through? You've broken through so many already. You got to meet the president, which must have been a thrill. You've done all these wonderful things. What's that next frontier to be a presence where you guys are recognized as someone who's got a seat at the table? Well, I think that we have a lot of work still to do with CMS. Mm -hmm. A lot of people at CMS are often federal employee lifers, and they have succeeded very well by never raising their head up, right? So so giving them bravery, an opportunity to grow and change. I mean, I did an unconference once at the Great Hall at HHS, and I watched all these employees. There were 600 of them there. And they did not know how to do an unconference, and it was very frightening to them. Um, the idea of pitching a new idea and standing up for that new idea, and then maybe nobody would like it, that was a terrifying concept. That would so, be terrifying. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, putting so, yourself out there and you know, right. putting yourself in a position where you're not in your comfort zone, that's hard. Yep. And so what I would love to see is help that organization get to that point where they are more comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. Because the way technology works nowadays you want to have those unusual ideas thrown out there. And okay, if they fail, let's let them fail without harming life, right? But get those ideas out there so the ones that should be going to the top have a chance to. An institutional model that's based on the 1980s as far as architecture is not going to work in a modern era. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of disruption on a national scale within institutions, that's one of the next steps. And have you guys asked to speak at some of the larger medical conferences where you would have an audience in front of a host of physicians where they, you know, obviously there's large conferences where physicians in different specialties all come together for, you know, to learn and to interact and, you know, get caught up on the newest innovations. But have you kind of broken through that uh, to be a presence there where physicians can really see, hey, this is an, a, an interesting and unique take on patient advocacy that we're not really seeing? Has that sort of been a road that you might want to get on? Well, I've presented over a hundred speeches at medical. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, um, I, I'm basically trying to like my little guy. We, he came up with a word. You know, there's a such thing in theater as the triple threat. You know, you can sing, you can dance, you can act. Like he calls it a forple threat. <laughs> you, know? you can, you can, you can talk, you can paint, right. you can blog. Yeah, you can tweet. <laughs> You can tweet, you yeah. can do it all. That's so, right. And now so you're podcasting. So you're, yeah. a, you're a five-tool player. I'm a sports yeah. fan. So we get to the, you know, the, the five-tool player. So there you go. So it's like any, any possible venue that we can get the message yeah. out, it's a good venue. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, listen, as we wrap up, where do we find you? For, for listeners who say, you know what, I am on social media or, hey, I have access to the internet. Where do we find you? Because there's some great <laughs> things that people want to be able, I want people to be able to see that I've been able to find by doing virtually no work. It just, it just pops up. Where do we find you? Well, I'm all over the internet as Regina Holiday with two L's. So that's Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest. My blog is called Medi Regina Holiday's Medical Advocacy Blog. And so you can find me through that as well. And my book on Amazon is called The Writing on the Wall. 
Well, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time. We'll definitely put something up on the, on the uh, Explore the Space Show website that has those links so people can click on that. Um, but really appreciate you joining us. Uh, thank you so much. Best of luck with your work going forward. We'll definitely be following you. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate getting to talk with you today. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.